Good morning. I found the solution after the wind blew off my papers last week. <laughs> Good morning once more. It is a joy again and a privilege to come share the word of God with you this morning. I'm really excited because the Christmas um, season is upon us and this just happens to be one of my favorite seasons of the year. And we're going to be speaking um, about that in a little bit. Um, but uh, I'm going to ask you to uh, please stay for fellowship. Please do not rush home after the service. Um, go out the door. There's a, what I call the fellowship hall. There's tea and coffee. Uh, please stay for an extended time of fellowship um, so that we can just get to know one another and fellowship with one another. That is why we, we hear fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. How else are we supposed to meet one another's needs? How else are we supposed to pray for one another um, if you dash home immediately after the service and we just don't know what's going on with you? Please, please, please do not rush home. So today we're going to be reading from um, the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, um, chapter 1, we're going to be reading from verse 46 to 56, but our focus will be from verse 46 to 49, and we will continue with the rest of the song next week. Could you please stand as we read the word of God. Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. We want to humble ourselves before you and we thank you for your word we thank you for your revelation to us that you've given us 
your word and you have made us our hearts to receive it. We thank you, Father God, that you've given us faith so that we will believe the revelation of who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is in your word. Otherwise, we'll be groping in the darkness. We'll be swept by every wind of doctrine, philosophies of the world. Father God, we'll be lost without hope. So thank you so much that we can come this morning and celebrate your goodness, your salvation, even as we remember the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father God, we celebrate, we celebrate your salvation, salvation for your people. So Father God, we come before you this morning. We ask for your help, that you'll help us even as we look into this text, that Father God, that you will open our ears and our eyes and our hearts so that, Father God, we will accept the truths of your word. Speak to us, Father God. We come from different places. We're going through different things. But, Father God, we pray that you'll speak to each one of us. We ask for your spirit to assist us. Because without him, we absolutely nothing. Without him, your word is just letter. It does not have any impact on our hearts. So, Father God, we ask for your assistance so that your word will impact our hearts, so that we will change, that we'll be more and more and more like our Savior. So Father God, be with us this morning. Speak to your people. Speak through me, Father God. Use me just as a weak vessel um, to communicate to your people the truth of your word. We ask for your spirit. We ask for your blessing. We ask all these in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Take a seat. The title of my message this morning is What is the True Spirit of Christmas? What is this thing called the Christmas Spirit? John MacArthur once asked, in light of what is often referred to as the Christmas spirit or the spirit of Christmas, he asked, what is the true spirit of Christmas? And likewise, I want to ask the same question this morning. What is actually the true meaning of the so-called Christmas spirit? The word Christmas or Christmas season evokes in us a lot of memories, ideas, and different situations. I recall I used to live in Pretoria. There's a street, famous street in Waterkloof, Pretoria, called the Lowly Street. They've got what they call the Lowly Street Christmas lights. This beautiful two-kilometer stretch of street has its residence decorate their homes for Christmas to usher in the Christmas season or what they would refer to as the festive cheer. 
into the neighborhood from the 1st to the 31st of December from 7 to 11 o'clock at night. The houses are adorned with lights of every color, shape, and design, creating a beautiful festive drive and stroll for both residents and visitors alike. But also, everywhere you go during this season, shops are decorated with Christmas tinsels and stuff to enhance what we call the Christmas spirit or the Christmas mood. You find these gigantic Christmas trees and under them are wrapped supposedly um, Christmas gifts are placed underneath these trees. And sometimes parents have got to fight with their toddlers as they want to run off and grab one box for themselves, right? How about Santa Claus? Though not as popular these days, he used to be for us growing up. And there are memories of some of us sitting on his lap, listening to his stories or grabbing a gift from him. How about Christmas carols? We've got a carol service tonight. Christmas carols, you go to a shopping mall, they're blaring in the background everywhere you go. And back in the day, Bonnie M used to be a popular hit. It may be about festivities and celebrations, families coming from out of town, uncles and cousins, that you've not seen in a long time. It's a time of reunion. This season revolves around food, eating elaborate dinners and lunches and breakfasts, drinking, being jolly and being merry. For many, it is a time of rest, rest from the labors, often after a very busy year a busy and tiring year. It may be about vacations as well, vacations by the sea, camping with family, and all sorts of arrangements. And this is what the Christmas spirit is all about. In and of themselves, these activities, or some of these activities that I've mentioned, are not wrong at all. It's great to have family visit from elsewhere in the world. It's great to have meals together as family, as friends. It's good um, when we have the means to have a vacation after a long year, after a hard year, to have a vacation by the sea and refresh our souls and our minds and our bodies. Yet, sadly, sadly, People have settled there. For many, the spirit of Christmas is all about just being jolly. It's, time, it's a time of ornaments and red and green decorations, silver bells, colored lights. It's time to call out Santa to hear him sing, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. We have missed it. We have missed it because often it has nothing to do with the commemoration of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, entering sinful humanity without sinning, 
coming to seek, seek and save the lost, to seek and save you and I. The true Christmas spirit has everything to do with the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come with glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will never end. This is the spirit of Christmas. And in the song or the psalm that we've just read, Mary portrays for us the true meaning of the Christmas spirit. And this spirit must permeate our hearts and our minds and our souls. It must cause us to sing together with David in Psalm 34, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever. Here in Luke chapter 1, we find the birth of Christ foretold. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary and basically tells her that she has found favor with God and that she would conceive in a womb and bear a son and his name shall be called Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high God. And the Lord God will, will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and, his kingdom, and of, his, of, of his kingdom there will be no end. And now after the news, Mary gets up and, he, and she goes to visit Zechariah and Elizabeth. When she meets Elizabeth who herself is pregnant with her son John, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then... Elizabeth exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to hear from the Lord. Then Mary responds and she bursts into a song. And what we've just read is Mary's song of praise, later called the Magnificat, from its opening word in Latin. It expresses God's concern for the humble and weak along with his rejection of the proud. Note that Mary drew this psalm from Hannah in 1 Samuel 2, verse 1 to 10. And I want us to examine this song this morning. Let us examine this psalm together. Her song is an expression of praise. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
Listen to how profound and significant these words are, especially when rendered literally. My soul makes great the Lord and my soul enlarges the Lord. Here soul and spirit are just poetic parallelism but are being used as meaning the same thing. The inner self, the totality of who I am, the depth of me, my soul magnifies the Lord. So says Mary. First, let us examine the word magnify. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul exalts the Lord. My soul speaks highly of the Lord. The name of the Lord is to be held in high honor. There are two kinds of magnifying. Microscope magnifying and telescope magnifying. The one makes a small thing look bigger than it really is. The other makes a big thing to look as big as it really is. And so here, the, 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 the one makes a big thing um, look as big as it really is. And what, what Mary is doing here is, is she's not making God look bigger than he really is. She's just, highlight, she's just highlighting the bigness, as it were, of God. She's just magnifying, highlighting, shining a spotlight on how great, how magnificent, how big God is. God is not big because Mary says he is. He's big, he's great because he is. And so the calling of those who love God is to make the greatness begin to look as it really is. And that's what Mary is doing here. That is why you and I exist. We exist to shine the spotlight on God, to make him look big as he really is. And that's what First Peter 2 verse 9 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim, you may announce, or you may make public the excellencies, the glorious deeds, the gracious acts of God, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the calling that you and I have. And this is exactly what Mary does here. She proclaims the excellencies of the one who called an undeserving sinner like her. One author said this about magnifying the Lord. He says about magnifying. Here is an occupation for all gracious people, all who know the Lord and have been born into his family may magnify him. It is an occupation which may be followed by all sorts of people. None are too humble or lowly to do this. None too great, none too important. This occupation can be followed in all places. It can be fitly performed in solitude. It requires no money. It does not require great talent. The soul may sing, although the voice may not. It is the grandest occupation that mortals 
can engage in. And this is what Mary does. And the question is, why is it that we do not magnify the Lord as we should and as we must? If you cannot magnify God, it is probably because you're magnifying yourself. You have placed yourself at the center of the redemption at the center of the redemption story. You have built shrines in your heart and you bow down to these. You think higher of yourself than you really are supposed to. But look at how Mary responds to the news by the angel in verse 38. She says, I am the servant. I am the female slave. I am the, the handmaid. In case you think this was a slip of her tongue, in verse 48, she says the same thing. She repeats the same thing. For he has looked on the humble estate of what? Of his servant. All those who call themselves children of God are God's slaves. We are his slaves. We are slaves of Christ. We are his born servants. We do his bidding. We're not here to do our own. We are slaves and he is our master. And Mary understands that. Mary understands that. And it's my prayer that uh, the Lord will cut down self and make nothing of you and me. Then we will make much of him. Because when we sink in our own estimation, God exalts us. When we humble ourselves, God exalts us. In James 4, 6, he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 29, 23 says, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Likewise, you are young and be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the attitude that we see here. That's the attitude that Luke is writing about. And he wants us to grasp that, to grasp that we are slaves. None of us is a master here. We are slaves of King Jesus, and we're here to do his will and his, build, and his, building, his bidding. Sorry. So it is my prayer, Florida Baptist, that we will wake up and magnify him, that as a church we will magnify him and we will invite others to come magnify him with us, that as we eat and drink and we marry in this season, we'll magnify him, we'll magnify it. we'll tell others, look at what God's done. You know, he's given us health, he sustained us, he's kept us, he saved us, he saved us. That we will work to magnify him, that those who play sports 
for magnifying him in that, for giving us strength and ability and agility, because all these things come from him. That those who go to university and school, that it will not be all about your academics, that you will magnify him there as well. Even as you choose the career path that you want to follow, that it will still be about him. It will be about magnifying him. That the magnification of our God will be the grandest theme and a motto to grasp for life. This, my friend, is the spirit of Christmas. And Mary understood it. Mary understood it. And the second thing that I want us to look at is, so, verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in my Savior. My spirit rejoices in my Savior. In essence, Mary says, My spirit exalts in my Savior. It praises and makes its boast in the Lord, my Savior. The Old Testament word for rejoicing is shama. It can describe one's feeling of joy and the outward reflection of such gladness in the form of rejoicing. It can be translated in many ways, including just rejoice, delight, filled with joy, Shama is expressed in many ways in the Old Testament, including blowing trumpets in Second Chronicles 23:13, singing in the Psalms, Psalm 32:11, and dancing in Jeremiah 31:13. It is often connected with the heart. It overflows from a heart that is immersed in scriptures and understands who God is and what man is. And having his sin exposed by God's holy word and having become aware of God's grace, he cries out like Isaiah in chapter 6, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of unclean people, of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Having the light of the word of God expose his heart, he cries out for mercy. Shama describes the manner in which feasts and festivals of Israel are to be celebrated. For example, in Leviticus 23, verse 40, rejoice before your God seven days during the Feast of Booths. Second Chronicles 30, 25, the whole assembly of Judah and the priests and the Levites and the whole assembly that came out of Israel and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel and the sojourners who lived in Judah rejoiced, rejoiced. This was a celebration of the Passover. And Moses commands the Israelites to celebrate joyfully in Deuteronomy 1:11, the Psalms too overflow with rejoicing. The psalmist rejoices in the Lord's strength in Psalm 21, verse 1. Shama is the proper response to the works of God 
in Psalm 66, verse 6, he turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him. After they were delivered, this was a proper response, rejoicing in the Lord. Psalm 92, verse 4 says, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Psalm 126, verse 3 says, The Lord has done great things for you. We are glad. We rejoice. Psalm 46, verse 4, Those who trust in the Lord can rejoice in the midst of turmoil. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And though God's people have suffered, the prophets testified to the future where there will be shama, there will be rejoicing, the future shama that the Lord will bring. Isaiah 66, verse 10, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. He will give them comfort and shama, rejoicing instead of grief. Jeremiah 31, 13, Then shall the young women rejoice in dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. And the young men and the, the, the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning to joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. When Isaiah prophesies the birth of the wonderful counselor, he prophesies the future rejoicing of God's people in their salvation. Isaiah 9, 3 and six, you have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they, they divide the spoil. Verse six, for us, a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this is where we find Mary, you see, Mary had immersed herself in Old Testament scriptures. And this is where she is. And where she is, is pretty much determined by the fact that she had strongly acquainted herself with the Old Testament scriptures. The long-awaited Messiah now lies in her womb. This is indeed great news. This is great news of great joy. And Mary does not refer to him as the savior of the world. He says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior. And although he is the savior of the world, but Mary makes it personal here and she says, he is my savior, my personal savior. The message, message of Jesus' birth and the entrance of the Savior into the world is something to be excited about. It's something to be excited about. And that is why we've got to proclaim it. That is why we've got to guard against falling into um, the temptation of singing jingle bells and jingle bells and end there. We've got to proclaim the entrance of the Savior of the world into humanity. 
So Mary understands that God the Father is about to change the course of human history. The most important three decades in all of time is about to begin. And she is carrying the long-awaited Messiah. And this is not her doing. She understands that. Because as you read her psalm, she magnifies the Lord. It's about what the Lord has done. It's not about what she has done. She does not claim anything here. She does not claim to have been worthy of this kind of choosing. But she magnifies the Lord because she recognizes that this can only be done by the Lord. This is his work. This is not her doing. This is sheer grace and grace only. This is the sovereign God, sovereign Lord at work. What is it that made Mary sing? It was the gospel. It was the gospel. It's, it's grace. It's all surpassing mercy of a covenant God to needy sinners. And she understood that. She understood that. She understood that salvation had come. Salvation had come. Her salvation had, had come, and that's what she'll be carrying. She was carrying the hope and the joy of the world. She, the mother of Jesus, will call the one that she's carrying Lord and Savior and King of Kings. She understood that she would bow down to him. She would bow down to him, that he would be her master and she would be his servant. And we know what the Roman Catholics say. They've elevated Mary and they worship him and they see, uh, they worship her and they see her as a mediator that can carry our prayers to God. But from this prayer, you cannot arrive at Mary's alleged immaculate conception which preserved her from sin. She recognized her need for a savior. There's nothing here about perpetual sinless existence. There was never a day when she did not, at the end of the day, bow down to the Lord and say, please forgive me, because she was a sinner. There's no trace of her perpetual virginity after marrying Joseph. There's none. There's nothing about bodily assumption into heaven in the whole of the New Testament. There's nothing here that would endorse a role for Mary as the co-redemptress, right? There's no reason for any generation of Christians to call her blessed for any of these fancies because those qualities do not exist. But she herself sees that. She sees herself as a sinner. She considers herself to be following in the line of Adam and Eve, of having within herself fallen humanity, the need for a deliverer, the need for a savior, for one to come and wash her sins away and cleanse her from the guilt and restore her into fellowship and communion with God. She recognizes that so that she may sing or might sing the song of the redeemed with the assurance that she is a child of God. 
what she is most aware of as she bursts into this inspired praise is that God has provided for her a savior. And this is the spirit of Christmas. This is what Mary teaches us, or what Luke wants to tell us about what the real spirit of Christmas is. Sinners that were destined for hell now have a savior. That is why she would rejoice. That is why she would rejoice. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 10, we've looked at this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to this, verse 10. Once you were a people, you were not a people. Once you were not a people, but now you are, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How did this mercy come about? It came about as the savior of the world entered sinful humanity, lived a perfect life without sin, died a sin that he did not deserve, and saved those who came to him by faith. This is what Mary is excited about. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this is the story of everyone sitting here who calls themselves a Christian. This is our story. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. We had not received mercy, and now we have. This is our story. Is it not worth rejoicing about? Is it not worth proclaiming? Is it not worth blowing a trumpet about and, and, and telling the whole world about this great salvation? Is it not? And this is what Mary is doing here. This is what she's doing. She's proclaiming, she's shouting at the top of her voice, look, the Savior is here. And we too um, have received mercy. And look at what Mary says, verse 48. Uh, my, uh, let me start in vo verse uh, 46 again. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ Jesus, wouldn't we say we too are blessed? Wouldn't we say, wouldn't we, say we, like Mary, can be called blessed? We've been made happy. We've been ma made happy. The entrance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has saved us from our own misery. We're marching right into the pit of hell and he rescued us. He rescued us. And we can rejoice over that. 
God has freely given Jesus to us as a gift. And Jesus is still in the business of saving people, just as he has saved us. And this is the spirit of Christmas. And in Romans 11, Paul speaks about salvation. You know, he speaks about um, um, our own salvation, the salvation of the Jews. And he's just overwhelmed by the mystery of salvation. He just does not quite grasp how God works, God saving undeserving sinners and showing them mercy. And he exclaims in Romans 11, 33, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of God? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Paul does this sort of thing as well, where he ponders on this great salvation, and it sort of makes him dizzy because this is a mystery. We shall understand it in heaven someday, but it does not make sense that God will save you and I. But we're glad that he has. And we've got to be mindful of the fact that he still wants to save others. And we could be a blessing. We could be conduits through which people hear the gospel. We could be proclaimers. We could be the ones that make public who Jesus is. And people could come to the same salvation. Or people could receive the same salvation that we have received. And so Mary says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So we see here that what Mary does is she sort of catalogs what the Lord has done. So she tells us, you know, my spirit rejoices. And here she tells us the reason why her spirit rejoices. So she sort of catalogs what the Lord has done. This is personal. This is personal. It's not out there, although she will later go into other works of providence of God, but for now, she stays within herself because she wants to recount the blessings, the things, the great things that God has done in her life. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for he has looked at the humble estate of his servant. The translation in the um, Greek uh, translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, meaning humble estate, is the same word that um, Luke uses here. Mary says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary's personal humble estate was not her personal childlessness like we, we saw with Hannah, but rather the nation of Israel the nation of Israel's childlessness as it awaited the birth of the messianic deliverer. Humble estate acknowledged that 
neither her nor the people could do anything to bring about the deliverance. They were stuck. They were stuck. Had he not, um, I mean, God, had he not himself come up with a solution, they were stuck. They were lost. They were lost. And so Mary acknowledges that. And he says, for behold, from now all generation, generations will call me blessed. A generation, in the sense um, um, used here, is, um, it means a number of people constituting anyone, um, anyone rung of the ladder of descent, a group of contemporaries. Mary does not say that all generations are going to consider her um, an intercessory role. You know, they're not going to see her as playing an intercessory role of the blessed virgin Mary or as mediator in the salvific redemption by her son, Jesus Christ. That's not what she's saying here. That's not what she's saying here. What this means is that all generations are going to praise God because of the marvelous manner in which God has honored her. She's not elevating herself to a status of co-redemptress. She's not doing that. She's just acknowledging that people will be blessed because of how the Lord blessed her, how the, the Lord honored her. So she catalogs what um, the Lord has done for her. Um, she says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will be blessed. And I've got to pause here and ask you, do you ever catalog your blessings? Do you ever stop and recount what the Lord has done for you. Because the minute you stop recounting what the Lord has done for you, that's the minute you begin to complain. That's the minute you begin to be discontented, right? If you think about it, each time we sin, we have forgotten what the Lord has done for us. And that's what Mary does here. We um, stop being grateful and thankful. We stop magnifying the Lord. We stop rejoicing and we become sad and we complain. Why? Because we're not recounting what the Lord has done. And Mary does that sort of thing here. And I'm going to encourage you to do that because that's what Psalm 103 does, right? That's what um, Psalm 103, I'm not going to read the whole of it. That, that's what Psalm 103 does. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. These are personal, personal benefits that David is recounting. Although he'll move in uh, concentric circles and include other works of providence, but this is personal. And I think there's a principle to be gleaned from this, learning to count 
our blessings. And we sing a song. We sing a song. Um, I know if we sing, uh, sing it here, but it goes, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. The Lord has done many, many things. The Lord is doing many things, and there's a reason for us to rejoice. And this is the spirit of Christmas. This is the spirit of Christmas. And so, as I conclude, and we'll look at the rest of the song next week, but as I conclude, I would like to just encourage you to make the main thing the main thing. Like I said, it's not wrong to sing Christmas carols, whatever those carols are. It's not wrong to take a break. It's not wrong to rest. But even as we rest, even as we take breaks, even as we um, celebrate with family, let's make the main thing the main thing. Jesus Christ, sinless Savior, who came to save the world. And let's proclaim him. Let's proclaim him. Let's tell others about this great salvation because he is in the business of saving people. But we've got to proclaim the gospel. That's why Jesus came. And that is the spirit of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you're a great God, that you've saved us, that you've loved, loved us with an everlasting love. We just pray, Father God, that we will be humble people, that we um, will live our lives to magnify you and to rejoice in your great salvation. Father God, we pray that our mission will be to make Jesus known in our families, uh, in the streets, in our workplaces, everywhere we go, that we will endeavor to make Jesus known. So help us, Father God, to be courageous. Help us, Father God, to never shy away from this message of salvation, from the gospel that is powerful enough to save sinners like us. Father God, we ask you to enable us. We ask for your grace as we do. We pray, Father God, that you give us boldness, um, that even as we rest right now, um, even as we take breaks, as we travel, that, Father God, wherever we are, we'll proclaim the excellencies of Christ. So be with us this morning and be with us even this evening as we remember um, in celebration, in song, um, uh, the birth of our dear Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Father God, to sing the songs with understanding, giving praise and honor to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's uh, count our